I was in the bar after a guitar lesson one night and my phone rang. <laughs> I picked it up. Hi, Sammy, it's Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it's like I was not expecting him to call me at that point. Ever wondered what the creative process is behind the films, TV shows and theatre productions you watch? Well, Crew Chats is a new podcast going behind the scenes and chatting to the crew that help make these productions. I'm Poonam and I usually work in the costume department. Whenever I tell people what I do, they're always fascinated. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to hear more from the wonderful people who work behind the scenes to make the films and shows we all love? Today's guest is Sammy Sheldon Differ, who knew she wanted to be a costume designer ever since she was a child and began her career at the Royal Exchange Theatre in Manchester as a costume maker and dresser. I went on to study costume design at the Wimbledon College of Art. After graduating, Sammy went on to design music videos and commercials before becoming an assistant designer on films such as The Gladiator. Sammy went on to be a costume designer for many well-known films, including The Imitation Game, for which she was nominated for a BAFTA, Ant-Man, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and more recently, Artemis Fowl and the upcoming Marvel film, The Eternals. Hi, Sammy. Hello. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. You're a costume designer. Um, and what does being a costume designer involve? So um, my job involves designing costumes for characters. So within that, I read a script, I have conversations with directors. Usually that's when you start kind of throwing around ideas. Um, Depending on the content of the film, you have to research uh, whether that's modern period, fantasy, whatever it might be, Um, and then get a team together usually because filmmaking is definitely a team effort yeah very important and then we I design I draw sometimes I'll put mood boards I always put mood boards together actually I don't know why I said that (laughs) Uh, and then draw uh stylings involved so often we might get kind of modern stuff in and style and then maybe do some sketches and kind of backwards and forwards you know a lot of the films I do are making costumes from scratch so that you know you need to be understanding construction in some way yeah there so that that's the and then obviously I'm involved in fitting the actors and the background artists and then getting them on set usually and then once they're on set I'm looking at the next thing you're on to the next bit yeah as you just mentioned with um, actors and directors and such, how important is your relationship, especially with an actor in the, the sort of fitting? Because you're so often that you're their first point of call before they've even seen anything yeah. else set wise. How important is that relationship? It's so important to have a really good relationship that's positive and they're able to discuss stuff and, and throw anything in the mix um, without, you know, it being kind of like you're, you have to wear this. I, I find it much easier to have a discussion even if you want to encourage them into one way it's nice to, to be able to have that um a nice not you know you don't have to be their best buddy or anything but just a good a good relationship where you can be honest and open about everything and work through things maybe go throw ideas around that can be discussed and see what works and it's great to have an actor who knows the character really well because that gives you a really good foundation to work from Um, Because there's so many elements to designing um, the look of a character that, you know, that is truthful and feels right and says what you want it to say about the character. Yeah. How do you try and put humanity into what you're designing? To try and find that human element through there for them to actually come across as the character that they need to come across? I think it depends what the character is as to how you... 
approach it, you know. The one that the, the question the re, the film that made me sort of wonder that is Ex Machina because I think a lot of people are fascinated by her sort of um the actual ro- AI yeah. her AI robotiness but the thing I found fascinating was then how when she was wearing sort of human clothes as it were how what choices you made to make her because he falls in love with her doesn't he 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 falls in love with Ava I mean with that character specifically I suppose um she's a machine but in being a machine she was a woman in the visual you know she he was trying to create the perfect woman and you had to always bear in mind that she was always coming at everything that she made decisions about from the viewpoint of being a machine that has been programmed in some way, but then has been given the ability to make choices. I always try to put myself into the mind of, of the character. So you kind of you kind of go, what would this person eat for breakfast? That's an easy one to kind of like, who is this person? Do they get do they get up late early? Do they like night day do that you know all those little things that personify them that personify all of us um and so I try to kind of get into that part of the person and then you kind of have this list maybe it's a mental list sometimes I write it down of who they are and then why they would make the decisions they would make and then that leads you into you know if I get up in the morning I always choose to wear black and I've been told millions of times, sometimes it doesn't say the right thing, but that's because I find it easier to make that choice because I'm looking yeah. at everybody else, you know, whereas someone else might always choose to wear bright colours because it makes them feel good. With the ex machina character, um, she wanted to lure him and she was programmed but she was also choosing from the things that she was learning making decisions about what she thought he would want to see so it's kind of that was the really tricky one it wasn't fair and it's like what would he want me to wear how do I find that and what is it about what a man I'm a machine what does the man think is cool as and and luring as do you know what I mean it's like yeah yeah so you kind of, I kind of do that to a greater or lesser extent, depending on what, what the character is all, for all of them, whether it be modern, like, you know, like Jurassic World to those characters chose to wear things for reasons that were to do with their job or where they were at that point in their life or what whether they were wanting to perceive, put something else out into the world yeah. or hide. But those kind of things, that's all, it's all about decisions that people you know people make I think it's fascinating because I think when we watch when someone who's not in this world watches something I I think when they see a character on screen it fits and it makes sense but you just don't appreciate the thought that's gone behind even just one character that may appear for like five seconds in a scene there's so much thought and so many layers that have been sort of built yeah and you know you also have to bring in the factor on top of what I feel as the kind of person who's coming up with all these ideas in the beginning the actor has their idea the director has their idea the producers sometimes get involved and, you know and you've kind of got to navigate all that and still feel try and hold on to your vision that is ultimately the director's vision that's that's your main kind of point of, of yeah, yeah and also kind of yeah I mean you know there are films I've done say for instance a very well-known film <laughs> um Gulliver's Travels which was a bit of a whip so Jack Black was the t-shirt he wears through that film I cannot tell you how many T-shirts we bought and made and dyed and coloured and printed and da da da. I mean, it must have been racks and racks of like everything you could think of just to get that one T-shirt. Wow. 
And that that was partly because obviously there were lots of people involved in that particular process. So you kind of end up with more than you need. I Personally, if I'm buying stuff, I like to be quite conservative with how much I buy yeah. if it's modern, because I feel that you've already you should have already made the decisions before you've gone to look in the shop. You know, so you kind of go, you know, if you're going to wear get a blue shirt you know you know you're gonna you want like you might want a few versions but you don't need every blue shirt that has ever been made <laughs> but it does sometimes happen that it does you end up with racks of stuff you know now all the certain actors you might work with expect 10 racks of stuff so they can go no 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 and others are, you know I've worked with another guy who I gave him four choices and he said you tell me which one to put on I'm not trying things on and I was uh, like great <laughs> And, and until you get to know them as well you kind of go how do, what do they like how do they like it and and you learn them as you go along in the in the film how how they like it as well yeah. there's all that personal psychology that you have to apply yeah through yeah as well <laughs> which is fab you know it's, it's, I feel so lucky that I can do this job and have all those kind of interesting experiences all the time I kind of you know I love people I love I know when I was very young I used to always watch people and I I was quite quite shy as a as a child and I I think that's done me in good stead for kind of character <laughs> I was say people watching yeah. I was said yeah because I, I would I never spoke really at school I was very very shy I never could never read out I was very conscious of what happens if I make a fool of myself so I would always kind of be the one at the back or I, if it was like a school disco I'd never dance so I kind of watched people and then I, as I got to art college I kind of realized that actually there were other people quite like me and then kind of opened up a bit but um you know it, it is all about people costume design is all about characters yeah it's such a integral it is the it is the thing isn't it I'm gonna circle back right to the beginning and okay. just ask how did you get involved in the costume world how did you start your career oh gosh well I suppose I've always made clothes from being eight nine ten I would make stuff and then I, when I got into my early teens I've been making like new romantic frilly shirts and all kinds of stuff that everyone else was trying to do their two straight scenes at school and I was turning shirts out um and then at 16 I decided that I wasn't gonna stay at school and do a levels I went to art college at 16 and I and I there was only I went to Rochdale College of Art and there was only few courses that did costume well only one which was in Liverpool and it was a making course and I didn't really want to do that I knew I wanted to do design I knew I wanted to work in the film business as well. <laughs> that's a question you can ask me later <laughs> so I kind of tailored my course in a way by the projects that they set when I, I did art and, art and design majoring in what was fashion but the projects they set I always pushed it into the historical world all the time and then did three years in Rochdale and then couldn't get on a degree course because there wasn't one that really was right for me. There was no costume design at that time. Oh. This is like the early 80s. And uh, so I went I went and begged the Royal Exchange Theatre to give me, to let me work for them for nothing, to just like learn how to make costume. Yeah. And then, so they said, yeah, why not come as a trainee? And I worked for them for about a month for nothing. I just went in every day and after a month they were like we need an assistant and you can actually make do you want a job so I I kind of got this job and we're just working like as a sewer um in the theatre and and then I started working in the evenings dressing the actors so going in the morning work nine till six and then at seven I would set up the, the shows in the theatre and dress an actor or do whatever 
one of a big team and so I go home at 12 o'clock at night so I did from 80 years old really long hours yeah and um it was great and then I took tours out and then after about three years of working at the Royal Exchange Theatre with a supervisor called Ginny O'Brien who was amazing and there was a few designers there who you know were also always it was a rep theatre so it was every four weeks there was a turnover and they said to me, Sammy, you you really, really do need to go and do a degree. You should be designing. And I was like, well, I couldn't, I couldn't get on a course. There isn't one. And they were like, well, there is one at Wimbledon now. Uh-huh. So they set me some projects and I applied to Wimbledon and got in. In fact, it was probably longer than that. It was about four years. I worked there for four years. And then I got into Wimbledon at 23 oh, years old. That's amazing. So I a mature student. Did the degree. And then I met, at the end, towards the end of the degree in my final year, that there was loads of designers went through Wimbledon that are quite big in the theatre world. And it was mainly theatre-based. One of the designers was a, a guy called David Blight who came back and he, he needed someone to assist him. So I, in the summer after I finished my degree, I went and worked with him to do this really bizarre production in Birmingham called Burlington Burton. It was about the life of Vesta Tilly, who was a music hall artist who dressed up as a man, one of the very first ones. And it was a hilariously bizarre and weird little production that only lasted six weeks but by meeting him I worked with him for two years did a pop promo with him and ended up meeting people in the film world oh, and wow. so that led me into meeting Janty Yates and I assisted Janty Yates on Gladiator that's and then literally two years later I'm designing wow quite convoluted but one thing led to another so there's some key people in my life that kind of steered me in a way Ginny O'Brien and a guy called David Shaw who was a designer just so influential in me going back to Wimbledon and then meeting uh, David um, Blight who was theatre designer and did, did lots I think he does lots of documentaries now and then Janty Yates I, I worked with her for a few years and then you know she was instrumental in me ending up designing my first job which was Black Hawk Down. Oh wow Do you, it's funny because um Oh, the previous guest that I had on was a she was in hair and makeup and prosthetics, but she was she said something similar that it just takes one person or a couple of people to just take a chance on you or just give you that chance, yeah. and it just yeah. changes the course of your life. And yeah, and it just opened as long as you're open. I think what what it is is I kind of knew what I wanted to do, and I'm really grateful I'm where I am. Yeah. But I didn't kind of go, you know, kind of fight my way to the top. I was just like, oh, this is great, and this person's great, and I'll meet. Yeah, this is great. Okay, I'll do that. And then you kind of it just kind of like a little jigsaw slotted together. And it wasn't like I was going out there to kind of climb the ladder first or anything. I think I think I just really enjoyed what I was doing and learned a lot from some really great people. I think working at the Royal Exchange helped me very much understand about actors because it's theatre and it was a rep four week turnover for four years. I met so many actors who I still see today, you know, like in films now and so many directors going through that you can I kind of got performance I understood what it was that was needed and and you know so now when I'm kind of working with actors that 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 theatre background has helped me so much with communication yeah and communication is a key skill yeah in any job but in our job I think particularly especially with what you do because you're not just communicating a vision but also making people feel comfortable I think it's been a running theme in all the episodes that that's the one thing everyone said that is key to making a successful production for sure yeah um 
I'm going to circle back to the question I think you sort of spoke about as well. But how did you know that you wanted to be a costume designer from such a young age? Well, I was really interested in clothes as a child and very young making stuff for dolls and for myself and for, you know, and always doing stuff with my hands. Um, I had a, a sewing machine very young. I think I was under eight when I had. Wow. So my mum had one and then I had one. And oh. mum always made our clothes because we were from the north and it was times were hard. <laughs> so I kind of grew up with people making stuff around me just for life, you know, not for fashion or anything. And I'm, I'm always very careful not to kind of say that what I do is like clothing and fashion. It's, it's not about that. Um, and I, and I, I was always very afraid of fashion just as a sidebar there. So... When I was 10, I went to see Star Wars A New Hope. And I remember to this day, and everybody who's interviews me asks this question, and I, uh, it's, it's, the same, it's the same thing. I remember sitting in the theatre with my mum, and I went, I want to do this. And those were the words I said to her. I was 10. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Star Wars seems to be a running theme for a lot of people where that has been their point of inspiration. I think you're the third person to say that. That yeah. st- Watching whichever episode it's been, it's, um, it's been uh, the thing that's most inspired them it's just amazing what a film can do to be honest I know no it definitely inspired me and then when I went to school you know you went to middle school and then upper school it was always everyone was kind of going oh I want to do this that and the other and I remember going for my careers thing and got saying no I want to be a costume designer and they're like well we can't help you (laughs) I know (laughs) I know you can't (laughs) and I don't even know how I'm going to get there but that's why I went straight to art college at 16 I left and didn't do what the school were like you can't go and I was like, I am. <laughs> you can't help me, you said. <laughs> it's interesting, I think. I, I think our attitude to the artistic profession has changed, but there is a weird sort of battle between being academic or being artistic. There's no, I think it's art, being artistic is so academic as well. I don't think well, it's it is, it is. a separate thing I'm at not, all. You know, I think there's definitely you fall into categories of that as well, because I, so I, I was always really good at maths. And I absolutely loved biology. And when I went to art college, I wanted to have a do biology as well. And they were like, you can't do art and biology. And I was like, why not? Maths goes with it. It's science, maths, art. What? I don't I don't understand why I can't do that. And they were like, no, no, no. And I was like, but that's that's really silly. And that now obviously have a different attitude. But at the time they thought I was like, she's crazy. <laughs> why, why would you want to do that? So I it's, didn't do biology and I wish I had but It's never too late in fairness. I was going to ask you because you said mentioned as well that you started doing pop promos and stuff as right the, earlier in your career. How does that compare to then designing films? I feel that were a means to an end in a way with what I was doing. I kind of I loved doing them because they were short and fun, but there were times when they, I was, there was a couple of years when I probably did about 30 or 40 pop promos a year with random bands. Some of them were well-known, some of them weren't. Lots of Northern European boy bands that never made the light of day. Equally, I did some great, I did a, a really amazing thing with Jarvis Cocker called This Is Hardcore, which was like doing a mini film. Um, and I worked with, I worked with Jamelia, Lots of R&B, actually. Eternals. Oh, so one of my favourite songs, I know people will be like, this is so cheesy, is the B.B. Winans and Eternals song. And you did that, I was like, oh, (laughs) sorry. I did that video and it was it was it was fun I did two videos back to back for them and they, and they, they were fun but at the same time you're working in a in a, an industry there that is um well a part of the industry that you know there's a very fast turnover and there's 
a lot of nightlife going on surrounding that whole, you know. So I've, I see that part of my life as the West London part of my life, where I spent a lot of time in Notting Hill and in various places in North London that you don't go to bed. <laughs> and because you would literally work, you'd have a call at 6 a.m. and you might not finish till the following 6 a.m. Many, many, many times you I would do 24 hours. Yeah. On a on a, a, a shoot because they had to get them in in like a day or two days. And then and I, it did get to a point where now it's, I've been asked recently in the last few years to do pop promos. I'm like, I, I just I do not want to be called up by someone who have, doesn't know um, really what they want in terms of maybe the director or the producers and they want it tomorrow and then they want to shoot it the day after. It's stressful. It, it is stressful, especially now. I mean, you know, when I was 26 or whatever, it was fun and I thought it was like the coolest thing, but I, I it's tiring. <laughs> and it, it, it was fun and I'm glad I did it because it made me realise that you can turn things around fast if you need to which also is a really good thing to know when you're in film because occasionally that does happen where things change or things go wrong or whatever you know and you need to turn it around overnight but it shouldn't be the norm that yeah and that's what it was in the, those years I did pop promos for about I think it was about three or four years actually maybe even longer and I did commercials as well and the commercials were like oh my god <laughs> you know too many people having an inf- having a say about a blue jumper or you know or or whatever and I'm grateful to have done it but it's really not very artistic Um, and what I really love about what I do now is that you get a script and you have a great you know chats with your director and your actors and you make a picture and you have time to do it more time than pop promos there's never enough time yeah (laughs) but it's a it's a much more kind of you know wholesome process yeah Yeah, there's a beginning a middle and an end I guess you get to see it out with yeah I your vision yeah um which brings me on to my next question is what inspires you well it, it, in life it can be in life and in your working career because I guess they inform each other don't they I suppose the biggest inspiration in my life is my husband and my daughter <laughs> just because I, I think you know I want to have a nice life with them and I think that anything that gets us to that point of enjoyment all the time is great and that sounds really cheesy but they're in you know my husband's unbelievably inspirational and calm he's a calming influence on me (laughs) and and my daughter is amazing and I think that that was a life-changing thing having a child I suppose prior to that I love art and I love nature and I think something that happened in the last 10 years was after I met Ian and we had Elsa we decided that we weren't going to live in central London anymore and I'm from the north so I kind of always found it a bit crazy being in London I felt tense a lot and I don't I don't think I don't think you realize the environment that you're living in influences you in terms of your stress levels until you step back from it yeah and we decided we would move closer to where I was always working which was usually Pinewood and so we looked around and ended up moving to Maidenhead and um, just driving to work to the studio every morning now through the countryside makes me smile so much. And it makes me feel like a completely different person than when I was belting it across from southeast London to Pinewood every day. And it was spending three hours in the car. Traffic. I was going to say traffic. <laughs> traffic. I was tied in knots every day. And it wasn't until we moved here. And I, we started having building this life. We've been here for, for years now. Was that that the stress? 
that you shed when you're in a, a place where you feel happy. And and I've ultimately realised that I'm really much happier in nature and in away from all the hustle and bustle of big cities and stuff. And if I could move even further out, so we was the only house in the in the valley, I would be happy. <laughs> Oh, and actually, if you don't mind me asking, and feel free not to answer, um, I think a lot of people, uh, women probably in the industry that may want to have children, um, if they do, they find it quite difficult to balance that with then yeah. being in, a, in the industry that we're in because of the nature of it, the hours, the kind of work think, that we're also doing. I, How did you find that? It's very, very difficult. And I think it's even more difficult if you don't have a partner. Um, it's very, very hard to find that work life child balance. But I think that we mustn't be afraid to try and do it because, you know, for too long, women have been told, well, if you have a child, you can't work. And that just makes me cross. Even an ex-assistant of mine told me that if I wanted to have children, I couldn't be a designer. That's just silly. I was like, you're a woman. How can you say that? But um, anyway, uh, you know, it's very important that we support each other as women with children as well. And not forgetting the men. I'm not saying that they, they can't be involved in that because my husband is unbelievably amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, ha- we have a great balance there. And, you know, it's, it's stressful. Yeah. But you have to make try and make it work because otherwise where would we be as women? <laughs> and I think also, you know, if we can in within the film business help each other still be able to have a child and do the work but it might not be for the whole day if you only can only do nine till three then let's employ people nine till three because they're really good costume makers and we need them but if you say you have to work a 12-hour day that cuts loads of people out so I'm really quite you know adamant that people should not see that as a and we need to be talked about with people you know when you kind of get people on your team and they go oh actually I know you know I can only work x y or z it's it's like we have to find a way around it yeah I definitely I mean I know I'm veering off slightly off sorry of the conversation but I think it's actually really important because um I think flexibility is probably key because I see it around me I think a stressful environment to be in on occasion and the hours are long but I think if you like you say it's great if there's like a flexible element to it because there are so many talented people and so many talented women that to lose them not I I say the term lose them in um, but I think you know what I mean losing their skill base yeah within the the, yeah the industry and uh, yeah and uh, you know we've quite a few films we have tried to help that situation and you know we get people some people do a four-day week some people only work between the pickup times or or you get a nanny we have a nanny on and off you know but you need in order to afford a nanny you need to have to work so it's going hand in hand really but it should never be seen as a negative thing that that you've got children and therefore you can't work yeah no I think that's a great attitude to have so you worked on Ant-Man you designed Ant-Man and that probably it's part of a marvel universe and there's a lot of cgi and i assume there's also a lot of opinions but it's such a big franchise yeah. how do you realize your vision but also then in those situations not specifically with ant-man but realize your vision but also take into account there's a history behind this character and it's part of a, a wider picture of say superheroes well, in this case with ant-man i first one so I didn't have to kind of reference back too much. I mean, they're, they're, they've got an amazing archive at Marvel. So, you know, there's there's a lot there <laughs> that they've done already. But that process for me, Ant-Man was amazing fun. And they're a really fantastic company to work for. I had a really good time designing that film. You are still the designer. And, you know, we the ant suit was something that I two years before we did that in fact just as I had my child I did this little test 
test for the suit and I was given a drawing and they said make it work and we made this very kind of codded together version of it and they were like oh <laughs> it, it does work and then obviously we did the real thing two years later and I, they are they're always up for suggestion there's never a this is it and you have, can't veer it at all it, but it's I suppose it's a slightly different process because they are like a you know yes. a world but it, it's a nice world to be in and the CGI element have you found it's changed from when it's sort of become more mainstream in films have you found it's changed your approach to design or the way you've designed uh, I would say that involves more talks with the visual effects department as the visual effects has grown I very much have a you know hand in hand relationship with visual effects if it's anything to do with suits or you know thing even stunt work involves visual effects so yeah. stunts costume visual effects now any of these action movies or fantasy things that you have to be open to you know what their needs are for instance and then also maybe you have had experience of something that someone else hasn't and then you can break say hey well, we did this last time how about this you know I think I don't think there's many films I've done apart from maybe the imitation game that hasn't had some form of visual effect like the ex machina suit everybody asks me well surely that was a blue blue three suit and it wasn't we made it oh. we actually made that suit and then what happened was we worked very very closely with um, the visual effects department and they had specific places they wanted the body to be the ability to be able to cut the arm at a particular point uh. so that's why she's got like ring rubber rings and stuff so that we gave them a really good solid shape that they could take say for instance it was the arm take that out put their mechanics in and then they used how the mesh was around the arm and replaced it back in visual effects wow so it, it, she had a full suit on that was we actually made that fabric as well it was it was some hexagonal like nylon stuff that we <laughs> we mixed up it was like it was like a, a chemistry class that was <laughs> for about six weeks we were trying to work out how do we get this mesh to look like metal to sit, sit on the body but still have a round top to it when you look at it closely so we we had these panels of stuff and we dipped them in this urethane that had various powders in it to make it look metallic and and then we laid it onto Teflon so that it went flat on one side and stayed domed on the other. And and then made the suit out of these little pieces of all stitched together. And it was super tight on, on her. Yeah. It, was very it, looks, it looks like yeah. her skin. Yes, it does in the film I guess the aim is true, isn't it? Alex, Alex Garland he yeah I mean he was like I don't I don't understand how we're going to make this and and you know they, they asked me to kind of come up with some way of doing it and he said the only catch is I don't want to see any scenes <gasps> at all. Oh. <laughs> Actually, we did it. I think that we had to have scenes down the arms, obviously. But that was, we knew that we, we put them all where there was going to be mechanics. So uh, okay. all the areas that you see is is real. It's not, that's not CG at all. So it, it was it, it was very hand in hand with the visual effects department there. And we had to give them a way of like sealing it up the back. And, and then they did all their magic, which looks absolutely amazing. It's a kind of science, actually. It's amazing what you can do. And I think it's amazing to see how traditional sort of costume ideas can mix with a sort of a newer CGI visual effects world to then come up with something quite amazing yeah. and new and fresh. Yeah. And like when Artemis Fowl is out, oh. yeah, that has got a lot of CG involved in it. Yeah, I mean, I dealt with like, there's a guy that's half horse and, a, you know, all 
<laughs> very random things yeah really random um but you know you just find ways to kind of do it and what's what I love about that world of the films that I do a lot seem to have this kind of random bizarre kind of so now we're gonna do this character and he's got to be I don't know have an extra three feet or I don't know what <laughs> be. and and it's always a challenge and it's great to have those conversations it leads me nicely on to my next question which is what has been your most challenging task or project and then how have you overcome that challenge this is the thing is most of the films that I do I start them going how on earth am I going to Stardust was quite hardcore for me because I was very young. I think I was 2006. I'd only been designing a few years and that was that was a big design job. Equally, it was fun. So it was challenging. Assassin's Creed was really challenging um, because the director wanted everything to be like it. They were it was out of a museum. So we ended up literally hand beading and embroidering all the assassins costumes and hand weaving the leathers yeah. i had leather people bashing out bits in terms of making that was absolutely massive yeah. um, and just getting your head around all those different assassins and all those different scenes and that the scene in the auto de fe where we you know it was like i want thousands of people in here all dressed in different masks so that they've come to the celebration of death. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> we, I, I had people making masks that were like macabre, very ancient looking. And, and, and it, it, it was fun, but it was hard work. Yeah. The big making ones are hard. Even Artemis, I, I kind of, when Ken was like, all oh, right, well, we want this, this, and this. I'm like, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. How am I going to... How are we going to do it? Most films are challenging. You know, occasionally you get one that's like lovely. <laughs> something challenging about it, whether it be no budget, usually no budget. <laughs> I guess it, it makes you creative, though, doesn't it, in a different way? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like I've been spoiled a bit in the last few years, though, because you kind of do these bigger movies and then you kind of go, how am I possibly going to be able to do this without X amount of money? But you do it yeah. because that's what you're paid to do is to be creative in whatever the circumstances are, you know. So I'd say in terms of challenging things, my job is challenging generally. And on top of that, you've also got, you know, in the last few films I've done, I've had at least, I'd say the last film I just finished, I had a hundred, what was it, 160 people in the department. Wow. So you've got, you know, part of the, the your job is not only is to be creative and make the actors look great you've got all those people asking you what you want <laughs> and you've got to manage them all and make them all feel like they are which they are absolutely 100% contributing to the look of the film which is why I say it's you know you can't I don't think you can ever work in costume you know without a team it's, it's a team effort is what I should say it's a massive team effort and you just have to guide all those people. That's hugely challenging. The bigger the film, the more challenging it is to manage all that, all those artistic people in their own right, because they might not always agree with how you want something doing. How do you deal with that, actually? <laughs> <I don't... laughs> Persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes they're right. You know, sometimes I go, I want you to come at it from this point of view. And they're like, but we can't do that. And I'm like, you have to. And, you know, I think more often than not, I think that it works. I'm not going to say I'm right because I can't <laughs> say that. But sometimes people kind of say, Sammy, what about this? And you kind of go, oh, God, why didn't I think of that? I work with them. Um, there's a few people that I always work with. And one of them is Ivo Coveney. And, um, and he is 
he's always right (laughs) 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 and he's absolutely brilliant and he's proper techie and he knows how to make stuff and but we have a great relationship um and he's mainly the person that always says no that's not right (laughs) it's but you know what though it's wow it's great it's good fun and and I you know how lucky are we I always I think every again every episode everyone's been like we are so lucky and privileged to be working in a creative world making things and it's so gratifying to then see those things on a screen (laughs) Yeah, you know, last night we watched Jurassic World 2 and I could I I I find it very difficult watching films within a few years of doing them. So it takes a few years and then I can watch them and not kind of get emotional of oh my god, what was I thinking? And there's a couple of films that I have the scenes in a couple of films that I kind of still can't watch. But actually I enjoyed Jurassic because I was like, oh this looks all right. <laughs> You don't really notice the clothes because it's all about the dinos. No, but it's a satisfying feeling. I always say it's a very yeah. instantly, it's always quite an instantly gratifying field that we're in because you make something, you design something, you see it come to Yeah. See it come I mean, to there, fruition. there was a, a film a few years ago, I did uh, X-Men First Class and we did this amazing scene uh, where Magneto, he flew at fly somewhere and we did this whole scene in, in the... Um, an airport where he's walking through and he speaks to a little boy it reminds him of himself and uh, and it was hugest scene of 1960s people in going on holiday and then we did all these lovely air hostesses in the 1960s pan am stuff and designed them you know our version of it and and it was such fun to do and they cut the whole thing and that's when you kind of go (laughs) so it's gratifying but yet you watch the film sometimes and you don't realize that something's been totally axed oh I guess that's a feeling that you probably have to like as I'm sure it's horrible every time you see it every time you see it's happened but I guess it's a yeah. feeling you must come yeah. to terms with pretty quick not moment. to the story it's fine but yeah. you know you can and then there are times when you're filming stuff and you go this isn't gonna make it either. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you get a, I guess you get a sixth sense for that kind of thing maybe yeah well, yeah um, what kind of skills do you require to do the job that you do patience for sure I would say I mean having gone through six years of art college I think personally it is a good idea if you can draw as a costume designer but I know a lot of people don't necessarily do it that way but I do and I feel that if you can draw with the director it's immediate but that's just my personal way of doing it I have a good understanding of construction of garments I wouldn't say I'm the best tailor in the world but I'm I'm better at women's making I can make I used to make that's how I started out so um, I think it's a good idea because you can then have an uh, an opinion on how you want something to look through how it's made maybe Um, I think it's good to have that skill again I know not all designers can make and that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing but I like to draw and make and it just goes hand in hand for me Um, I think you need to be really good at managing people like managing your team uh, delegation is a massive skill you need uh, which it takes a long time especially when you've been doing pop promos for years when you start out or whatever and you've done it all on your own you're, you're the only person so you're the designer the dresser the washer the, the everything. So, everything and then you start getting into film and there's other people around you and you're like well, I don't really know how I'm going to give you this it's mine um, and then you learn to delegate and actually you have to because when you start doing really big movies, you you've got you every day you're in a meeting with the producers and the director or who's somebody you know the accounts department, 
and you can't be doing everything so you yeah. need your team you need to be able to rely on your team you need to have a good team who understand each other and and uh, yeah a loads of patience actually and uh try not to get worked up you know stress it's always stressful yeah. but I was gonna say, it must be hard yeah because I think you got I think most people probably go through something like that in their 30s when they're 30s or 40s when they're you know the the, the job is like really stressful and you get really stressed and then you get to an age where you kind of go this is really not good for me I'm gonna have to find a way to chill out but still be able to do the job a sense of humor respect each other is a really good one you know I absolutely adore the people that work with me and appreciate everything that they bring to the table and also give your team the ability to have the space to suggest things and not feel scared that they can't it's not a dictatorship it's a team so you know you you, they need to be able to go actually why don't we try this yeah that's okay yeah Yeah. and that's really important um you might have touched on this already but what are the highlights of your job the highlights of my job I love it if you've done a really big build for a a scene of you know lots of background artists and and then you you get on the first day of shoot and they're all there like for instance and this is very early in my career um when I was the assistant designer gladiator and uh we had seven months prep on that it was unbelievable amount of stuff we made and I remember walking over the hill in Farnham on the very first day of shoot, when all that that those Roman soldiers and the archers and everything were all stood in the field, and I was like, "Holy moly!" And that was the most amazing feeling. And that, you know, that wasn't my design. That I was the assistant, but I just felt really proud of everybody that had, had partaken in that because it that is, you know, it's not something that you when you see the film you go, "Wow!" But just actually being there and seeing something like that. You know, walking on set for the first time, like the auto de fe scenes in um, Assassin's Creed. The you know when you the first day you walked on there and there was all the fire and the drums going and there was the king and queen and all those. I don't really know what they were and then all the monks <laughs> and all the and you know and it was like holy moly we we've done this we've done it we got there and that that's the that's the great it's great that when you get something on set whether it be one actor or a thousand background especially you know when it's a big build and you you get there I guess the anticipation of you know how how will it happen how will it happen then you see it yeah you do you're on edge every day when you (laughs) before you've established something so it's when that's that's the highlight of your job when you kind of go phew that worked I guess (laughs) knowing that you've done what you needed to do so this is a bit of a rant it's not that random actually but I imagine you must get it from other people maybe like family and friends that aren't in this world but have you ever been starstruck because you must meet loads of actors and actresses has there ever been a moment where you're like oh my days do you know what there's been a couple of people I've met and for various reasons I have been starstruck but it's not I don't get starstruck actually and that might sound like a really oh yeah right Sammy but um, (laughs) when I was working in the theatre I did I mean I was just dressing and it it was in the late 80s and Kate O'Toole was in the I can't remember what it was but anyway her dad Peter O'Toole came to visit and I was wow. asked to go down to the, box, the stage door and bring him up. And, and I didn't know who, you know, obviously she, I just got called that um, Kate's got a visitor. And I went downstairs and, and it was Peter O'Toole. And I was like, I must have been 19, 20. And I was like, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking about, he had this big long coat. And I remember thinking, 
oh my god he's gliding he's I don't think his feet are touching the floor and there was something about him that was so ethereal and I think that's the only time I've really been starstruck it's a good and, story though <laughs> yeah and then the, the other time I, that just comes to mind I flew to New York to meet Al Pacino to fit him and um I was staying in his flat oh wow <laughs> but he wasn't there obviously him <laughs> I was there and the director, Michael Radford, was there. And, uh, and then the next day I was meant to go to the rehearsal rooms where they were all rehearsing. This was for The Merchant of Venice. And, I, and fitting. And I, so I went in and there was this young girl there and she was like, so you're coming to fit Al. OK, so there's some rules. Don't look at him. Don't talk to him. Don't talk to him unless he talks to you. OK. And I was <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'll stress you so, out. It was so stressful. And so I, I opened my little suitcase of stuff that I brought with me, little things to try on and drawings and stuff. And uh, and he came in and he walked up to me and, and stuck his hand out. Aww. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. And I went, hi. And I looked at him and went, hi. And, she, and, he, and he grabbed my hand and he went, hi, Sammy. So nice to meet you. Right. What are we going to do? I was like, oh, my God, you're so normal. And that was pre-Starstruck. But when he walked in, I wasn't. It was like terrified that it was going to be really awkward. He was so lovely. I can't tell you. And so, and, but I, I don't think I don't think that was really starstruck. I was just terrified from what I'd been told. You know. No, that's people have re- reputation that precedes them often. Yeah. You kind of like, oh, how will they be? How will they be? And then you find <laughs> out they're human. Obviously, they have bad and good days like the rest of us. Yeah. 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 I can't think of it. it uh... When I first met Jeff Goldblum, I was kind of like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> but he was adorable. He was so lovely. In fact, he called. So, oh, that was it. I I suppose also this is why I was probably doing that, because a few weeks before he came over, I, I'm i learning the guitar. This is something ah. I've been doing for you. I go to this hilarious guitar group and I was in the bar after guitar lesson one night and my phone rang and <laughs> I picked it up. Hi, Sammy, it's Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it's like I was not expecting him to call me at that point. Yeah. And I didn't know where to go because it was like I couldn't say, sorry, I'm having my guitar lesson drinks. You know, <laughs> so I went out into the car park of the place I go to and, and like talking to Jeff Goldman for 30, 40 minutes. Every time we met was kind of like there was some funny scenario. So but he, he's he's lovely too. Oh, that's a really nice story as well. And that nicely brings us on to my final part of the podcast, which is your favourite to watch recommendations. Okay, well, obviously, two of these are just films that are still at the top of my list. First one is Blade Runner. And for obvious reasons, it's amazing as a piece of visual loveliness. And the guy who designed the costumes taught me at college. So I then, after seeing that film, I then went to to, to Wimbledon and Charles Node took us for a project Oh, and he wow. brought in some of the costumes from that film. And I ended up wearing one of the uh, the, the jackets. Oh, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, and then the thing that made me want to be a costume designer uh, is A New Hope, Star Wars. That still stands up today to me as a fantastic-looking film, even though it was made when it was made. It hasn't dated. I think it's amazing. The third one was a bit tricky because I wanted to more of a serious subject. There's a, a documentary I watched a few years ago called Hypernormalization. Which is a really interesting two and a half, it might even be four hours long documentary about why the world is in the state it's in now. It's quite controversial. And it was just a, an interesting watch for me. 
Oh, wow. That's a, I like that mix of things. There yeah. seems to be a bit of a sci-fi, otherworldly element to your picks. Yeah. Running theme, I guess. Definitely. <laughs> My career, it seems. <laughs> Um, thank you Sammy so much for coming on to the podcast I really appreciate it and it's been really interesting thank you very much thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sammy tune in for the next episode where I'll be speaking to costume buyer Lorraine Savander